This episode of Two Towns Over, we visit a house just outside city limits where a boy has just been put to bed, his babysitter is downstairs, and he's sleeping soundly. Unlike him, we will be observing some heinous crimes and getting frustrated by men who care more about their dick size than solving murders. Snuggle up tight, lock the doors, and don't answer the phone. Two Towns Over is a podcast where we explore the fascinating world of urban legends, conspiracy theories, and campfire tales to find out if there are any truths behind the legends. With dark humor and natural curiosity, we tackle the darkened streets of the town we all know. Welcome to the town with no name. This is Two Towns Over. All right, we should be good up from now from there. We're going to take that part out. Probably not. Well, we're going to have to. So, I mean, just the clap. I, then I said a bunch of nonsense. We could put that in if we wanted to. <laughs> Hi everybody. This is well. Let's let's do this a different way. Welcome to Two Towns Over. It it me, your boy, and this is me. I forgot how we do these intros, Don. <laughs> it's only been like, three <laughs> I, weeks. Dude, I, listen, listen. This part definitely is not in the podcast. But your boy, your boy, your boy might have just <laughs> like so. Like I've had an excess recently and i've been enjoying myself so i'm a little you know i might be a little bit scatterbrained today uh, did you guys see what i posted on facebook yesterday which which one uh about what brandon's girlfriend said about me oh no. yeah yeah you're the yeah. you're brandon stoner dad yeah. right yeah i definitely need to look at this right <laughs> now. we were at chili's last night and they were just talking and she made us some comment about her stepfather smoking pot and she goes, he smokes pot the way it looks like your dad would smoke pot. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> and she goes, you look like a stoner. And then my son goes, Brandon goes, yeah, dad. Uh, people at Wendy's referred to you as my stoner dad. And I'm like, I am so fucking offended. I could have been smoking pot this whole time and actually enjoying myself. <laughs> the thing that gets me the most about it, Don, is that you didn't know. No. Dude, that's <laughs> my thing. Is like, how did he not know? I mean, just because I have Pink Floyd hanging up on my walls and and I have incense burning beside me and I, I have mean, long hair and uh, yeah, Josh's no. hair and beanie and also yeah. my whole fucking deal. It's... And like, we get it. <laughs> <laughs> but just, how did you not? How I'm, did you not get it? Because I don't really look at myself in the mirror. And I, I don't, don't smoke either, pot. but I get, you know. So like, I honestly thought if you don't smoke pot, you don't look like you smoke pot. That's not how that works. No. <laughs> that's not how that works. No. Okay, so anyways, guys, so welcome. I'm oh, Don. Man. With me is Reuben Maynard. And How dare you use my last name, motherfucker? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and we have a special surprise, ladies and gentlemen. For the first time in a year, it's not just going to be Reuben and I sitting here talking to each other. We have a new host with us. That is Josh. Say hi, Josh. Hello. I'm super glad to be here. So we're turning into a regular little team now. We are hearing dogs in the background right now and i got distracted i'm so sorry <laughs> wow it's a rough start for reuben today but here we are we're gonna talk about something uh today's story is i don't know uh, why i even started talking i'm not even the one who does these that reuben doesn't get to know things <laughs> until we tell him 
I just do cool voices sometimes. <laughs> so. Also jokes. <laughs> All right. So today we are getting that shit off my head. We are talking about the old uh, standby urban legend of babysitter and the man upstairs. Oh, for real? We're doing that one now? Yeah, we're doing that one now. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, and we're not talking God. It's not that man upstairs. It's a different man upstairs. <laughs> well, I mean, mm, that's a religious podcast. We're, we're not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, was this not I, the Christian Minecraft server podcast? As always, I do have opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Little, just a couple. here, Just there. a few here and there. Yeah, it's not a, It's not a huge thing with you. I mean, it's a concept that many people agree exists, similar to, like, I don't know, love or hate. So, like, it must, but probably not how you guys think it does. (laughs) Sorry. All right, come back to us. Come (laughs) back to us. Never. So, um, it's real quick. Let's just spend a couple weeks. How's everybody doing? I'm in rare form today, obviously. Obviously. I'm doing all right, I think. I'm feeling great. I have spent... Not as much time as I would have liked researching this one, but probably more than I should have at the same time. <laughs> I I definitely have been playing a lot of Stardew Valley. Oh, heard. A lot of Stardew Valley. In fact, today when I go home, I'm going to be playing with uh, my friend Scott uh, from work. I have Scott. I've never played. I have it on my computer. I've never really? played. Really? Really. Oh, we want to get down, B. <laughs> I've been playing it's so st- relaxing, you guys. Like... I used to play Minecraft back when it was, like, alpha, beta type shit. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And, like, nothing in this world is as good as that first experience of of opening Minecraft for the first time, having no instructions, and just being like, make some shit. And you're like... punch some trees. So I'm supposed to mine and also craft things. So there must be mechanics to do that. And you just fuck around until you figure it out. And Stardew Valley is, like... It does have tutorials, but you literally do not have to read anything. You don't have to worry about the quests. They don't care if you complete them or fail them. You you can't really starve in the game. Like, even if you go longer than the day time slot, like, you'll just wake up yeah, at so your you house. You, like, pass out and get taken like home, a Pokemon. but you lose money, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and, like, you don't have to worry. Like, you can just make money. You could just make money by, like, like your tools don't break. Like, it's so relaxing to just, I have just, like, a little farm. I just have a farm. I mine sometimes. Mostly I fish. It's good. You know it's you real can do good. all that in real life. No, no, no. Nah, no. that sucks, No, no, no. <laughs> because that involves actual work and planning and, like, a day where the <laughs> weather works out. And I've got to, like, and... I work, all right? I walk up and down stairs <laughs> all goddamn day. I'm ready to fish, but I don't want to I don't want to touch a real fish right now. No, I'm trying God, to, no. I have to do that enough. It's fine. What are you doing all day you touch real fish? I mean, I do serve food. You touch the food? Sometimes when we cook it or if it gets taken away. I don't really touch it You ever. touch the plate. I do touch plates. You got to be around. I have food, to though. be around food, and also I have to touch it when I pick it up off the floor because kids throw it every goddamn place <laughs> that they can think of, which is annoying. I had to sweep so many times yesterday in between tables, and it was Friday, God. and we were busy as fuck. <sighs> every single table that I had, so I no, not every single one. I had out of like nineteen or twenty tables all night. In a three-table section for anybody who gives a shit. If this is going on the podcast, it probably shouldn't. 
Um, <laughs> this is now an episode of tangents. It, it certainly <laughs> is. Um, honestly, don't. Hey, listen, don't bring babies out to eat. <laughs> Just don't do it. Get it to go. Get a babysitter. If you can. Hey. <laughs> Good segue. Thanks. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Speaking I of I was on a fucking roll, and I was going to change this whole goddamn vibe up. <laughs> and these boys are on task. What's happening? I, I may look like a stoner, but I still have the memory of a non-stoner. As I drank two monsters and have not smoked today, so... Well, then, we, <laughs> hey, man, we could fix that problem right now. <laughs> so, okay, so this is one of the perennial urban legends. Yep. I think everybody has heard this urban legend mm-hmm. at some point. Mm-hmm. There There's was been, literally a movie about it. There, there was, were quite a few, yeah, movies, quite a few movies, actually, yeah. Yeah. They were all terrible. Yeah. I, and I, one I of just, them was, only one of them was terrible on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> My thing is, how do you turn this into a hour and a half movie? I'm going to need a tight 50 minutes like Ricky Tiki Tab. <laughs> right. No, because it really is, um, I mean, probably the same way we're going to turn it into a 50-minute episode. Well, you mean by rambling? And yeah, yeah you exactly. Ruben comes in the middle of the movie joke. and starts Yeah, talking. exactly. You know, it, it was crazy. <laughs> me and some random motherfucker coming into the screen like, <laughs> me and my girlfriend watched shit. it the other day, and like at the 30-minute mark, Ruben just comes in and starts talking about Stardew Valley <laughs> <laughs> for like 45 minutes, and then the Straight movie bitch. ends. Yeah. <laughs> I caught a trout the other day. That should be <laughs> So, if you don't know the story, I don't know how you don't know the story, here is the urban legend. Late at night, a teenage girl is babysitting. The children have been put to bed upstairs, and the babysitter's downstairs watching television. Phone rings, and the caller on the other line tells her to check the children. The teenager dismisses the call and goes back to watching television. A few minutes later, the anonymous caller again calls back again. Have you checked the children? He does this several times. Eventually, the babysitter calls the police to inform her that they will trace the next call. After the stranger calls again, the police return the call, return her call, advising her to leave immediately. She evacuates the home and the police meet her. They explain that the calls were coming from inside the house and that the unidentified prowler was calling her after killing the children upstairs. Wow. Yeah. Now they're I'm assuming that we're going to hear some horrible stories about how this really happened a couple times. Just maybe. Maybe. No, actually, this is, you know, it was just the babysitter and someone was messing with her. The end. Night, everybody. Sweet. We love those. Yeah. <laughs> nice. End of episode. Back to Stardew Valley. <laughs> <laughs> so there, are, uh, like every urban legend, there are alternate endings. There's an ending where she, the, the killer's coming down the stairs. The children aren't killed. Um, they catch him before he does anything, but this was probably the most well-known ending, you know, because child murder is always, it's a sensational headline for sure. Oh, definitely. I think one of my favorite versions of the story is where, um, the kid is afraid of the giant clown doll that's at the foot of his bed. Mm -hmm. And so the babysitter calls the parents and they're like, Oh, can I move this, uh, really weird looking life-size clown doll that's in your kid's room? He (laughs) says, it's kind of scaring him. And the parents freak out because they don't have a clown doll. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a very middle school story. I hate it. I love it so much. (laughs) Like, I love those ones where it's like, I love the ones that are like, 
the meme equivalent of that are the cat memes where it's like, so anyway, I was hanging out with my cat and then my cat came around the corner and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's like, it's like that amount of effort. Right, exactly. <laughs> it was went into it. It was like, so anyway, there was this clown doll, but they didn't own a clown doll. So like. And Ooh. you can tell a middle schooler really labored over making that story up. <laughs> oh, certainly. Lots of lots of effort went into making it sound suspenseful. Well, I mean, if you told it the full story, it does have a little bit more suspense than the way Josh just told it. Nah. nah. Josh just kind of <laughs> ran through it. But That's how middle schoolers do, dude. Middle schoolers do, dude? What? That's how middle That's schoolers how do, do oh. dude. Gotcha. Okay. So I'm an irresponsible podcaster. <laughs> Much like every other episode we've done, I have to ask the question, is there any truth to this story? Probably a little bit or a lot. I yeah. don't know. This one seems like it could be plausible. Um, this is my favorite part of the episode where I actually start thinking about the shit we're talking about. <laughs> um, ADHD is a bitch, guys. Uh, we. I, it, it feels like this was written... The story was written in a time when phones were only landlines, and like this babysitter definitely didn't have a cell cell phone. <laughs> so like, how are you gonna call the house that you're in from the house that you're in? I don't even remember if that's possible. It, it was back in the day. You had to dial it a certain way, but you could call right. someone in the house. Okay, it was kind of like paging somewhere else, like yeah. on a like how our phones work. It this worked. was this was back oh, in, the, yeah. in the dark ages of the '60s and the '70s and the '80s. Party lines yeah. and. Gotcha. Yeah. So, to answer the question... When you couldn't just scream at your phone and call it a bitch, and then it would do what you wanted. <laughs> there is truth to this story. Um, Hopefully not the child murder part. Well, I bet it's the yeah. child murder part. Well, So, today, God damn it. we are going to discuss the story. And please forgive me if I do this. I've been doing this every time that I've read over the script. The girl's name is Jeanette Christman. But I have called her Janet Christman as I'm reading it out loud. So do half of the people who talk about this in any exactly. other context. But there's two T's, goddammit, yeah, so it's Jeanette. <laughs> and I kind of, when I when I was doing the spell check, I actually had it spell check, change it with the E oh at the end. God. So J-A-N-E-T-T-E to mm -hmm. kind of help remind me mentally you, yeah. say that it's Jeanette. Jeanette? So Jeanette Christman was born on March 21st, 1936. Mm -hmm. She was the oldest daughter of Charles and Lula Christman and with a younger sister by 18 months by the name of Retta, and a newborn baby sister by the name of Cheryl. The young family of five had been living in Boonville, Missouri. So, right there. Sweet. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Real bustling metropolis, we, Boonville. Yep. 1930s Boonville. Oh, that's damn near as popping as Dudley Town. <laughs> You're never going to let Dudley Ever, Town. ever, ever. <laughs> That remind. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm, I'm we going might as well just do tangents at this point. <laughs> I was actually watching a uh, like one of those you know paranormal photographs. You won't believe. On oh YouTube. yeah, yeah. And there was a picture of someone walking on the street with a spectral person walking beside them. And I was only half paying attention until the very end when the guy that was talking said. There have been stories like this all over the Dudley Town area. God damn it. <laughs> and I was like, holy crap! Some, somewhere Ruben's ears perk up. <laughs> he doesn't know why. It's like the bat signal. <laughs> the sound Bullshit. of my people. I don't understand. <laughs> so, no one should know the sound. All right. Coming back. All right. So the young family five had been living in Boonville, Missouri, before locating to the small college-oriented town of Columbia, Missouri. Uh, Columbia, Missouri was known for its football team, the Mizzou Tigers. Um, 
which is still a popular team to this day, I guess. Sure. And were living in the upper floor of the business they owned, Ernie's Cafe and Steakhouse, where they'd made an honest and reputable living. Isn't, is that anything in, like, the Mystery Meat Hut? Oh, no. Okay. There's only one Mystery Meat Hut. There's only one Mystery only Meat one. Hut. The idea of them living above their restaurant, though, just makes me think of the whole family like they're the Bob's Burgers family. <laughs> <laughs> Except it gets way darker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Now, Jeanette was 13 years old and an 8th grade student at Jefferson Junior High School. She was described as a loving, church-going teenager who had a knack for playing the piano in the choir. She was intelligent and independent for her age, working fervently for the things that she desired. Quick question. Black Jeanette, white Jeanette, do we white. know? Okay. Yeah. It's it's an unsolved murder So uh, in the 50s, so we oh, only care yeah, about Oh, yeah, that makes a lot yeah. more sense. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> On the night of March 18th, 1950, the town was holding a dance party for the local students, and although Jeanette was asked to go by multiple friends, she declined all of the requests because she had had plans to babysit for one of her regular customers, Ed and Ann Romack, to earn money for a dress that she had been saving up for for Easter Sunday. You guys would tell me if it was like one of these guys that was going to murder somebody, right? Like if it was the parents of the kids or some shit, like something crazy. We'll tell you later if that's the case. You motherfuckers. <laughs> I can't what, believe you. I'll tell you, but you have to listen to the audio and play it backwards to get the message. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. I don't I don't even we don't even have to talk about that no more. We don't have to talk about that no more. We already we already went through a whole episode where you were Definitely pretending that it was real. And then it was like, and actually, none of this is real. <laughs> it's like when you watch a whole movie and then at the end, the main character wakes up and it was all a dream. Yeah. <laughs> it's the equivalent of any M. Night Shyamalan twist that wasn't sixth since. <laughs> Fuck M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Now, Jeanette arrived at the Romex house around 730 that evening. The Romex had just recently moved to a secluded and rural house in the outskirts of town. I don't trust them. Okay. We'll keep that keep that distrust in your mind. We'll, we'll go back to see if you're trust. I don't, I don't like the I'm tone suddenly, you're using with me, Don, right now. I don't now. know why I'm suddenly doing the Obama hand signals. Yeah. <laughs> Don is very, uh, uh, let me be clear about <laughs> this whole situation. <laughs> if you like your babysitter, you can kill your babysitter. Which I will do. <laughs> okay. Um, in Stardew Valley, a place where you can't kill people. <laughs> <laughs> the Romax were using this evening as their first chance to go out and spend time with their friends since they moved. Anne Romack assured Jeanette that the three-year-old son Gregory would not be any trouble. And Ed showed Jeanette how to load, unload, and fire the shotgun they had in case anything was to happen. And then they left, with Ed placing the shotgun at the door. Honestly, for the 50s, good on them. Yeah. That's that's honestly such a distinctly, like, rural Missouri 50s thing. Like, all right, uh, you're 13 years old. You're going to be watching our three-year-old son. This is a shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be afraid to murder a man. Yeah. Have fun. <laughs> he told Jeanette to lock the door and turn on the porch light if anyone came and knock him. He didn't say a knocking. I don't know why I said it that way. Well, it's Missouri's in the 50s. Yeah. So. Okay. Now, if anyone comes a knocking. If anybody comes a knocking, <laughs> pull the shotgun. Now, now, don't be afraid to kill a man. <laughs> Listen, you put his goddamn brains on my wall. <laughs> As don't a, let him touch my goddamn daughter. <laughs> okay. 
All right. Okay. Yes. All right. Sorry. As the night progressed, the weather began to worsen. A storm began to move in, bringing rain, sleet, and colder air. But despite the strong and turbulent weather, the Boone County Sheriff's Office was quiet until a frantic call came through around 1035 that night. When the phone began to ring, Deputy Ray McCowan answered, asking what the emergency was. He was met with the blood-curdling screams of a woman on the other end, and only two words cut through the noise. Come quick. McCowan tried to get more information, but the line went dead, and the only answer for McCowan was a dial tone. McCowan knew from the terror and the screams that what he had heard on the other end was not a prank. But unfortunately, the call was cut short so no tracing could be done, and no information was given from the woman on the other end to give any clue as to what was happening. Could you trace call? Yeah, I guess you could have. Yeah. You could, but uh, you had to have people on staff at a certain board at the the call center or whatever it was called for the time. Yeah, you would um, definitely have, it would definitely be an analog search where you had to go to right. a physical location. It wasn't computerized like it is yeah. now. They had to actually have definitely manpower. Definitely look at some poor woman's notes that she wrote while she was bored at work. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't staffed. It was really late at night, so they weren't able to trace where the call came from or any of that. Plus, and I forgot to put this in the story, uh, the Womax, Romax had a party line. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so they really they could the have picked up with a, other yeah, families. families. Pick up mm. a, a, a receiver at, on the whole street and just talk to somebody. Exactly. So, um, just going to cut in real quick. We're kind of, you guys, just so you know, this episode might sound really bad we are recording on two different devices but in the same room because you know we're doing our best but like we're putting a lot of faith in the in these audio programs that we just downloaded in about 10 minutes for free (laughs) with a a splitter that didn't work (laughs) yeah so you know shut up there's been worse episodes yep (laughs) i mean the whole theaters episode where there was coming out of a there's episode there's one episode we couldn't release (laughs) okay so like i said mccowan knew from the terror and the screams that what he'd heard on the other end was not a prank but unfortunately the call was cut short so no tracing could be done and no information was given from the woman on the other end to give any clue as to what was happening all he could do was sit and wait hoping that the phone would ring again meanwhile and you ain't even gonna put an officer out to like patrol the streets or nothing don't know where had no idea where to how send big them. is fucking boontown or whatever they were in, they were in <laughs> columbia, in columbia now, oh okay yeah. i think is a bit more popular yeah it was a college yeah. town it was a college mm-hmm. town so that makes a lot more sense okay i'm cool now i got it meanwhile ed ann and ed were enjoying their night with their friends playing cards ann called the house to check on Jeanette, but there was no answer figuring that the late not late hour meant that Jeanette had fallen asleep the robax spent a little more time at the moon valley villas leaving at around 1 15 that morning they arrived back at their house at around one thirty-five. The first thing, they- real quick, I love that the times are so specific because just now it popped into my head. My mom used to say, "Nothing good happens after two a.m." Mm-hmm. That's true, and like she used to say it with such conviction and authority that it sounded like only good things can happen before two a.m. <laughs> And, like, they made it in time, so I don't see what the problem's going to be, guys. I think we're fine. Um, do you have what time uh, Mrs. Romack made the call back to the house? Did not say. I cannot remember. I know I read it at one point. I want to say, no, I remember. What time was the 911 call? Or it wasn't even was actually 911 yeah, at that nine, time. Yeah. That didn't exist yet. Uh, it was a 10. 
1035 is when the, the call came into the deputy's office. Gotcha. Uh, they left the villas at 115. They arrived back at 135. The first thing that they noticed was that the front, por- front porch light was on and that the blinds in the front window were wide open. Ed began fiddling with his keys to unlock the door and quickly realized that the door was already unlocked. He opened the door and walked into a ghastly scene. Jeanette Christman was found sprawled out on the living room floor in a pool of blood soaking through the shagged carpet. She had been violently raped and murdered. Her legs were spread out with her right slipper barely hanging off her foot. It appeared that the 135-pound girl had put up a valiant fight against her attacker. Investigators found evidence of a struggle that stretched from the phone in the kitchen through the hallway to the living room at the front of the house. There were wounds on both sides of her head from a blunt object and multiple puncture wounds from some small pointed instrument all over her face and a cord from an electrical iron that had been snipped with a pair of scissors that was bound tightly around her neck. A few feet away was the landline phone dangling off the hook, the reason why Anne wasn't able to get a response when she called earlier that evening. The sight of this horrifying scene sent sent Anne into a hectic state as she darted up the stairs to check on her three-year-old son. He had been unharmed and shockingly still asleep, oblivious to the horror awaiting downstairs. Young Gregory slept through an entire brutal rape and murder, literally right underneath his bedroom. Honestly, good for him. Because, like, what was he supposed to do? Right. You know, well, like, nothing. But it's then, the 50s and he's three. So it's also imagine the sort of um, survivor's guilt that you would have if you were three years old and your babysitter yeah, was murdered. That's right formative, guys. <laughs> that's deep. That is, yeah. You can't get rid of that. You it doesn't matter how much therapy you get. That's that one's that's gonna forever. Stay. That's forever. <laughs> like, you know, the whole time I'm listening to the description of what happened, I'm thinking about how bad it would have been to to in any aspect of this experience to be there for it or after it and like that's probably the worst one is like i i hope that little boy never had to see that shit like <laughs> well it's really lucky that he didn't like hear the commotion and come he down he, he slept with a radio on yeah, yeah he slept yeah. with a radio on which helped him sleep so he didn't hear anything that happened downstairs if he had we might also be telling about the urban legend where the babysitter and the child get killed yeah that's better (laughs) (laughs) i I think it's marginally better for sure i think i mean 13 years i mean she's had 13 years (laughs) that's 10 10 more than he had at the time so she had 10 happy years more than he did so i feel like i've only had like five so she did okay <laughs> <laughs> wait you guys have had happy years i mean i i, I was a baby once yeah <laughs> there was this one day no <laughs> <laughs> once way back in the darkness <laughs> well i think on august 22nd 1996 the day before i was born that was probably a good one that was probably my happiest yeah day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My, uh, ironically, mine was that exact day as well, even though I was already born. <laughs> <laughs> like I, had just, I had just took my favorite shit of all time in my oh, diaper. Man, <laughs> I came alive halfway through a shit. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> Standing in my front yard, I'm just oh, amazing. Wait a minute. What is your earliest memory? We're going to, hey, fuck this story right now. I need a break. I need like a palate cleanser for a second. What's your earliest memory? Because mine 
is like it is a front yard memory. It's like no, it's not. My earliest earliest memory is just a flash of being in my car seat. The first time I ever went to the Keys to see my great grandparents, I was only like a year and a half old, and I just remember looking out the window of the car at some part of the Keys. My mom's foot on the dash in the passenger seat and like literally walking up to the house, like being carried up to the house. That's what I remember. And then nothing after that for like three and a half years. <laughs> I honestly don't know what my earliest memory would have been. I don't think I could tell you either. I One of my earliest for sure is um, I remember learning how to count to 10. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was huge. I was really excited about it. All right. Anyway, yeah. we were somberly talking about how a 13-year-old person got brutally raped and murdered in while she was babysitting a 3-year-old who miraculously didn't wake up because of a radio and also probably like the ability of a toddler to sleep through whatever the fuck they want. That's true. <laughs> I can still sleep like that. Sometimes, occasionally, not often. So, Ed Romack hastily dialed the police and they were dispatched immediately. Sheriff Glenn Powell from Boone County's Sheriff's Department arrived with numerous detectives and bloodhounds. Now, unfortunately, complications soon arose, however, when Lieutenant Joe Douglas from the city police, a different jurisdiction that really didn't have authority since the Romax lived 100 yards outside of the city limits, arrived at the scene and attempted to take reign over the investigation. The battle of leadership had the separate agencies being uncooperative with each other, and though answers unraveled quickly, there were many disagreements among the two groups. You would think. You you would hope. Hmm. No, I'm too jaded to say that sentence, I guess. <laughs> you know, I wish. There it is. I wish that grown men <laughs> could get it the fuck together for just long enough to catch a rapist and murderer. I think this, no. was, this was still around the time that they received their funding based on the amount of work that they got done, was it not? I have no idea. Um, it feels like grown men <laughs> should be able to be like, hey, listen, maybe we don't measure dicks over this one. Right. And well, that exact dick measuring contest is why we are calling this an unsolved case today yeah. still. I, yep. I could have called that shit. I could have called it. Now, the main point where the two jurisdictions collided was the method of entry. Due to Ed's instructions he gave Jeanette, many detectives suspected that the perpetrator knew Jeanette and tried appearing friendly to get inside. Now, this theory was substantiated by the front porch light being turned on, as he had told Janet to do so if someone came to the door. Ding, the, that's one, if we're doing cinema sense. The loaded shotgun nearby that was untouched... And the apparent knowledge as to where to locate the electric iron to use the cord for a murder weapon. What a specific choice. What, the iron? Yeah. Yeah. And it, so There's the, a phone cord literally right there. Right. And uh, that would have made the urban legend so much better if he fucking <laughs> strangled her with the phone cord. The irony. Oh, yeah. my God. I mean, honestly, this way more like the irony. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, but so the the iron that he used the <laughs> Don just got it, guys. <laughs> got it. <laughs> Jokes I am are always a better when they take a second. Oh man, <laughs> it wasn't even a good joke. <laughs> Those are the best oh, jokes. Yes, 
Good stuff. <laughs> Um, but so <sighs> the the iron that he used the cord, it was in a completely separate room. It was yeah. in the sewing room, which was that's where. Oh, I'm sorry. A lot of people didn't grow up in the South with a quilting mother, <laughs> <laughs> so I was just about to be like, "Where the fuck else would you keep your iron?" <laughs> and I just realized, like, anywhere else, there's an iron in my house right now. I have no idea where it like, is. Like, it could be in the kitchen. It it, I don't be. know where normal people keep irons. No, I'm 24. I don't own an iron. Lawn- <laughs> I don't either. Bro. Yeah. It's like I'm almost thirty. That's what, <laughs> what the fuck I'm doing. The, that's why God invented the dryer. You throw it in for five minutes. Hey, that's in the why. Dryer. That's Honestly. why humans invented dry cleaners. <laughs> Just run that shit down the road. Goddamn right. Also, I do actually know how to iron. Just for anybody wondering, um, I don't. They took home ec out of schools. It's bullshit. Well, again, quilter mom. So. Oh yeah. yeah. I wear t-shirts and shorts all day. I don't need to know how to iron anymore. Yeah, it's like a, a thing I do mm, twice a year, maybe. But <laughs> I can do it. As so, if anybody gives a shit. <laughs> so meanwhile, local sh- uh, police officers had gone around questioning Jeanette's friends, family, and students from her school. During this process, along with the local residents phoning in possible leads, potential suspects were formed. Um you want to try to hold him down? Oh, can I? Yeah. <laughs> Are you about to say Ed? No. Or Anne? Oh, no. oh, no, 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 no. However, it quickly became evident that a racial bias was present because the majority of the men brought in for questioning were black men in the community who were unnecessarily deemed suspicious. What? It's, it may in the fifties, right? Missouri. In it Missouri. may be incredibly shocking to find out that a small police department in Missouri found out that there was a murder and immediately was like, "Oh, we get to arrest black guys today." Yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> it's like, oh man, oh man. Let's go pick up Tane in the area, bring him in for a lineup. It was a little white girl. <laughs> oh fuck yeah! <laughs> Let's get to it. Let's get to it, boys. And then there's like a scene. Kind of like in Hot Fuzz, but more sinister, where they suit up. <laughs> but the suits are different. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, this tactic... Hooded, you might say, yeah. just for anybody who didn't get that. <laughs> Nevertheless, this tactic was fruitless, and the police were no closer to resolving Jeanette's murder. Wow, no way. Racist, shitty police in the 50s were too concerned over... Arresting black men and uh, measuring their dicks against each other over a hundred yards. Well, I mean, it's not like a white a guy could have done it. That couldn't be. That couldn't be the case. No. Absolutely not. People didn't do anything. Back no. Bro, in the 50s, mm-hmm. white dudes was probably murdering. It Like, honestly, it was probably Ed and Ann. <laughs> and they just, they got home later than they said, or earlier or later than they said they did. And then called the police, like, after they cleaned up. Because they knew black people live here. It's fine. So uh, now we're going to get a little, we're going to backtrack just a little bit and uh, talk about a couple other rapes and murders that occurred. Oh, boy. In this time period. But you might find something quite interesting. Let's see how well your memory is. Bad. <laughs> this wasn't the first rape and murder to befall Columbia, Missouri. Four years or earlier, on the bitterly cold night of February 5th, 1946, 20-year-old Mary Lou Jenkins had been brutally murdered in a similar manner to Jeanette. Mary Lou was at home alone, coincidentally less than a mile away, two blocks over from the Romack residence. 
while her mother spent the evening a few houses away tending with an el- to an elderly couple. When Mary Lou's mother had to spend the night away down the street, they conjured up a plan to alert one another. Had to? Oh, elderly yeah, couple. Care right. an elderly couple. Uh, their scheme was to turn on a light, lift up the shades, and place a phone call. Late into the night, Mary Lou's mother noticed a light on in her house with the shades up. But since she never received a phone call, she didn't believe anything was wrong. The following morning, when she returned home, she stumbled upon the gut-wrenching scene of her daughter deceased in the living room. She had been raped and strangled with an extension cord. Hmm. Exact same M.O. Mm-hmm. Wow, man. I Wow. Police were... Sh- you know, we complain about police today validly for good reason but boy oh boy you know i sometimes just as a little bit of a tangent but a related one sometimes i see memes uh who which i know were written by white people because they go man i wish i was born in such and such a time in the past and i as a biracial person think or no it's the ones that are like oh if i was born in the 1600s i'd be such and such if i was born in the 1600s i wouldn't have been born in the goddamn 1600s (laughs) Like, you don't be biracial with a black dad in the 1600s. Good lord. You can't do that. It's not a thing that ever happened. Like, that's why everybody can trace their family back by their mothers and not their fathers in the black community. Because that shit, you, who, who fucking knows? After about, oh, I don't know, Juneteenth, you can't really tell from before that, like, where those families came from. In a lot, most cases. So it's like, I don't know, if I had been born in the 50s, I would have died. But also, cops in the 50s really didn't know what the fuck a serial killer was. They didn't even have a word for like, they it didn't even Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, there would not have been a word for me in the 1600s. And in the 50s, they didn't have a word for this type of killer. They didn't even have a concept for it. So... What'd you say? Four years before? Yeah. Literally. 86 or 46. Yeah. Bro, if somebody in my town got arrested for for kicking a dog and then three and a half years later, somebody got arrested for kicking a dog, I'd I'd call my friends and be like, hey, that same motherfucker's at it again. <laughs> but they didn't even know to do that. They didn't even be like, oh, this same crazy shit happened again. They didn't even know how to do that. Fuck living in the past is my point. <laughs> Two weeks later, after the murder of Mary Lou Jenkins, two weeks later, Floyd Cochran, a 35-year-old disabled trash hauler, was arrested for savagely murdering his wife. Afterward, he attempted to commit suicide, but was unsuccessful. Once the police were aware of what had transpired, they took him into custody. Floyd willingly admitted without remorse that he murdered his wife. Considering the timeline of events and the desperate need to solve Mary Lou's murder, Boone County investigators interrogated Floyd for 10 hours, where he supposedly made incriminating statements that led to his guilt. Wow. And Even he, back then, though, they had perfected that technique. Oh, yeah. Right. And I believe he was he was kept awake for like 48 hours during the questioning, too. That's the thing they still goddamn do. Mm-hmm. Hey. Um, Dude, I was watching a video today that was talking about how, um, you know, there, uh, up to 25% of confessions are made that are uh, some percentage of some kind of confession. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's a large percentage of pers- 
of of uh, confessions are they're not forced, but they are endurance,d and like people will confess. That's what it is. Like life convictions. Yeah. Like twenty five percent of life convictions are like they confess to the crime so that they don't have to stay awake for another 48 hours and answer questions for another 10 after that and not get to eat or sleep or piss or shit for days on end and just keep getting interrogated, asking the same questions over and over. They'll throw away their lives to get out of that. That's how bad that shit is. Right. Well, it's almost like the, I'll do anything to make this end. It, it is yeah. in a big way like torture or say, you know, you torture somebody until they wish they were dead. You can interrogate somebody until they wish they were just in fucking prison. Yeah. Yeah. It, like cops suck. Is my, <laughs> like, they're the, the worst. He supposedly made incriminating statements and he ca- later confessed to the murder of Mary Lou Jenkins, despite no evidence connecting him to the murder. Wow. Oh, and it no is way. worth mentioning at this point that Floyd Cochran was a black man. By the way, yeah, yeah, he was subsequently sentenced to die on September 26, 1947, via the gas chamber. A few hours before the being executed, though, he recanted his alleged confession. It was later discovered that he was coerced to give a false confession, but the deed had already been done, and to this day, Mary Lou's death is considered solved. Which kills that, me because that I, is insane. The fact that he so readily confessed to killing his wife, mm-hmm. uh, and then they had to do all this interrogation to get him to confess to this other murder. I, you don't confess willingly to one murder and, and then another fight one. for 10 hours through uh, an interrogation before you finally, they wear you down and you confess to another murder. You just confess to both murders. Yep. I've never confessed. No matter how much they interrogate me. No. You've been through a lot of interrogations, Don? This isn't my first podcast. Ah. Are there podcasts... Of which you are the subject. He's a possibility. <laughs> hey, not anymore. <laughs> <clears throat> so, also, a series of prowlers and peeping toms would emerge in the following years. And in the late months of 1947. Yo, that's a real thing? What, peeping toms? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. For real? For real. Y'all nasty. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, it's on the subject of Don being a murderer. I do have to point out that uh, so he never <laughs> said that. He never said that. <laughs> never said that. Allegedly. No, you didn't. Allegedly. You, I know you never confessed to it. Yeah. Uh, there was that time that you, you know, hauled all of my friends and I up into the mountains in North Carolina. Yeah, and everybody thought I was going to fucking kill them. Yeah, that's great. Oh, no, none of us ever said that. You, you you were the one that was like, by the way, guys, I know I'm. you guys are all just coming to the mountains in North Carolina. On the drive up there, you said this. <laughs> you were like, I'm, I'm amazed you guys all just came with me uh, up to the mountains in the middle of nowhere to a cabin in North Carolina. <laughs> and we were like, oh, yeah, we didn't think about it that way, Don. <laughs> And then I had two of them sleeping in the basement. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Good. Go into my game room. <laughs> no, that was such a fun vacation. Thank you again for that, by the way. Mm-hmm. Until Jesse threw her shoulder out. In her sleep. In her sleep. Yeah. And you guys had to drive down to mountain roads in that gigantic fucking minivan. started hanging out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is when I thought you still hated me. Why would you think that, Don? Because you mean mugged me after one performance one time. I don't. It was just my face, Don. I I didn't know at the time. 
I was, I was like, like that, that motherfucker's going to kick my ass for no reason. <laughs> I would never. It's because you were just so good in Rocky that year that it was frustrating. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah, my fat ass playing meatloaf. Ooh. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So, yeah. So, uh, in 1949, late months of 1949, a series of peeping toms and prowlers would emerge. Uh, and the activity increased with a string of sexual assaults. The first rape occurred several days before Halloween. Boy, you just love hearing the phrase first rape, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A 16-year-old teenager was babysitting on East Sunset Lane with an unidentified male wearing... This is where things start to... Well, you guys, we jumped from Stardew Valley into these stories. We're <laughs> definitely going to need to put a trigger warning at the beginning of this. But there's, there's not a peeping Tom in Stardew Valley, just like down in the village, all the houses? Not as far as I found out. Oh. There is a homeless dude, but he's mostly, like, very zen. Oh, yeah, yeah, What's his gift? No, never mind. Don't tell me. I don't know. I don't know. I've only been playing for a little bit, but like, I'm only. I told you, I'm not doing shit else but farming and fishing, sometimes mining. But that's only to upgrade my goddamn tools and make money so that I can farm and also fish. But here's where I say your memory. Anyway, these Stardew Valley um, <laughs> tangents are brought to you by my anxiety about not wanting to talk about these terrible things. <laughs> We're gonna so. take that out. <laughs> <laughs> A sixteen-year-old, sixteen-year-old teenager was babysitting on East Sunset Lane when an unidentified male wearing a white homemade mask with holes cut out for eyes. What? That's a that's a unique costume. I wonder where he got that idea. Well, doesn't that sound familiar to you? No, Aside not at all. From your obvious clan reference. What? No, not at all. That a white sheet with holes cut out for the eyes. I said, I said sheet. Mask, mask. homemade mask, with holes cut out for eyes, broke into the residence and violated the young woman in the living room. The following month, on November 29th, 1949, 18-year-old Stevens College student Sally Johnson became the next target. She lived one block away from where the prior victim was attacked and was home alone, falling asleep on the sofa while watching television. God damn, they didn't have to fucking try to do crime in the fucking 40s. No, no, no it was so easy. Like they just literally, this week it's her, next week it's her, this other week, keep right, on going. If, if you were one a sociopath in the 40s and 50s, it was easy. Oh my God, white crime would have been, oh man. Oh, I know, you definitely couldn't get away with it if you were black. No, for sure. You couldn't even get away with innocence if you were black in no. the 40s. Now, thankfully, Sally Johnson resisted her attacker and was left unharmed as the perpetrator panicked and fled from the home. Say the, that one part again. I'm sorry. The The girl who fell, who was attacked, falling asleep on her sofa, uh -huh. she resisted and the perpetrator ran off without harming her. Uh -huh. Was that on, another? Was the was he also wearing a mask? What year are we in? Say? We're in 1949. Jesus. No, what I was trying to point out is that the mask with the holes cut out. That's the, the strangers thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's. Uh, the Phantom Killer of Texarkana. The Hookian Killer. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm just trying to say that it could be him. Maybe. Is that close enough? I don't yeah. know. Gian. Yeah. I went to school in the U.S., Don. <laughs> well, Texarkana, Texas, and Missouri, that's not too, too far away. Okay, okay. You know. Yeah, it, I guess it isn't that uncommon for um, for killers to move when it gets hot. <laughs> you know, well, just like go from dealers. Texas to Missouri is not that much different. Yeah, but in the 40s, that's a ways. Yeah, true. Um, like, like these two police departments that worked in the same area couldn't get it together to work together <laughs> at all. So, like, if I move a uh, hundred yards outside the city limits, I'm fine. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I'm not fine. So other uh, people would have been fine. The very next day, another more brazen incident occurred, and this is where my my ears perked up to the whole 
phantom killer. A college student enrolled at the University of Missouri was on a date with her boyfriend. They were at Hinkson Creek, a lover's lane. Was it under a bridge, Don? No. Damn it. That's where they do some blood. Um, and in their vehicle, when a man draped in a white hood and brandishing a firearm appeared and ordered them out of the car. They did as he instructed, and he was forced. He forced the couple several yards away. He proceeded to rob and bind the male, then ordered the female to walk. Mandor hand, hard car hook door? Yep. <laughs> when they were a considerable distance away, he ordered uh, the, um, sorry, he sexually assaulted the female and sprinted away from the crime scene. Criminals, just please stop. Just don't. I mean, do crimes, but not that specific fucking crime. God, date, rob somebody and go find a hooker. You absolute madman. Right. Yeah, that but not I, that in a seems cool like way. a like a way like so you feel the need to be violent, right? And you feel the need to fuck. So rob somebody and then take that money and go grab a hooker, right? Thank you. But, and then if you feel like killing, kill the hooker. N- n- well, well <laughs> and turn them into mystery meat. I don't that's <laughs> that's one method, yes. We've discussed this. <laughs> The other, we would still prefer you don't. But. Yeah. Well, you could also poison her and claim that she had a stroke because of a ghost. Yeah, ghost stroke. That was a really that was a stretch, honestly, <laughs> even for me. Um, days later, on December fourth, nineteen forty nine, and this is going to really make your little man white people thing. God, go off. I have, um, I have a problem. A twenty six year old black male named Jake Bradford, had been arrested at the police, caught him in the act of peeping inside a young woman's window. Gross. He was a peeping Tom. So it's not just white people. No, obviously not. <laughs> people are disgusting. Monstrous people are just, we're just awful. But um, also, I mean, if it was a white boy, he would have got a slap on the wrist. Yeah, true. Uh, he spent a week in jail after intense questioning. He confessed to assaulting the 16-year-old in October and the attempted rape of 18-year-old Sally Johnson, even though she was brought in to ask if he was the perpetrator and was unable to provide an adequate answer. So. Anyway, that moment of silence was brought to you by, like, no one in that situation was right. But one of those people definitely was targeted. He he wasn't totally innocent. Either, no, though, certainly he, not. He was peeping in windows. Yeah, that's gross. gross. How old was he at the time? Twenty six. Twenty six. That's oh, gross. Yeah, he should have went to jail. Worse. Certainly, but he should not have had to been forced to confess to some shit he did not do. Right. So just n- like the dude that murdered his wife, like yeah, he murdered his wife. He probably should be in jail for the rest of his goddamn life. But you still that doesn't mean you should torture someone for ten hours. To quote unquote solve a different case that's unrelated, right? Or even if it is related, ha- like that you—that's. I mean, there's a reason that's inadmissible now. You can't do that now. I mean, you can because they do all the goddamn time. But like, you're not supposed to anymore. But then it also has the secondary effect of uh, Jeanette's murder is never properly solved, right? Because like now there's two murders. That oh, no, that was that was Mary Lou. Never mind. Yeah, Mary Lou, and also the Jeanette one. Like we don't know who did it now. Well, I mean, they didn't then, I guess. Yeah. At this point in the story. Yeah, at this point in the story, you guys remember? I don't know anything about it. I know. All right. So, nevertheless, the reports of peculiar prowlers and rapes in the area diminished. The police believed they had apprehended the right man, and locals began to feel a sense of relief. 
Then all of a sudden, the nightmare resurfaced with the tragedy that fell upon Jeanette Christman. With shocking parallels to Mary Lou Jenkins, causing many people to cast doubt on law enforcement's original affirmation. Which they should have been doing all along. I mean, that's all. (laughs) In the days after the murder, a member of the Carpenters Union said that he was beaten while in police custody as a suspect in the case. Dozens, now we're back to the Jeanette Christman story. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I didn't specify a time jump. Dozens, possibly hundreds of suspects were interviewed and then excluded from consideration by police, including one student who erroneously confessed to the crime. Often this occurred without consulting Sheriff Powell. Now, as stated before, inside of the home were clear indications that Jeanette had resisted her attacker. Blood smears and fingerprints were found in the living room and in the kitchen, where the back and uh, and the back door had been left ajar. It seems very simple. Hey, look at that motherfucker with fresh scratches all over his goddamn face. Arrest that man. Yeah. It looks like he struggled against a girl. <laughs> Kill him. <laughs> um... As the police followed the trail outside, the search dogs managed to track the assailant's scent one mile up from Stewart Road to West Boulevard and across West Ash Street before losing the trail. Back at the crime scene, male's footprints were found near a side window of the residence that had been shattered with a garden hoe, where several authorities believe the perpetrator had gained entry, primarily due to muddy papers found on the piano that was situated nearby. Police Chief E.M. Pond ordered all officers to 12-hour shifts. He changed the emergency number from 3132 to the easier-to-dial 112 and deputized a number of prominent downtown businessmen to watch the streets at night. A Tribune colonist, Warren Dalton, then a local business owner and president of the Junior Chamber of Commerce, recalled being given a badge and deputized. Which I didn't know that police chiefs could do that. I thought that was just a sheriff. I have no idea. I don't know how. I don't know the ins and outs. Yeah. Um, Especially not, you know, eighty years ago or whatever. Dalton remembers one night at about two thirty in the morning, Pond and a group of men came across a suspicious character on Westwood Avenue. The chief jumped out. Of, this is him talking. The chief jumped out of the car, and the man ran between two buildings. The chief shot, but he missed him. He ducked around the building, and we never caught up with him. He was running as fast as he could. But Dalton, too, was discouraged that the investigation never seemed to gain real traction. I don't know whether it was a thorough investigation or not, he said. That's a question. If you don't know, it wasn't. (laughs) Right, exactly. That's a good way to look at it. Whether they followed all the leads they had and as quickly as they could, you always heard a lot of rumors at that time. Now, as the police continued on with their investigation of Jeanette Christman's murder, one prime suspect named Robert Mueller materialized and the circumstances say robert mueller yes why does that name sound so familiar? you're thinking of robert Mueller, the Mueller report got it yeah thanks yeah so this is robert mueller got it uh you gotta put a little more vomit in the name mueller mueller, mueller. i mean it ferris bueller mueller yeah mueller, mueller. mueller. <laughs> <laughs> so glad circ- we're on the same fucking page <laughs> yep <laughs> so circumstantial evidence uh against him began piling up heavily Mueller was a twenty was twenty seven years old. And that fir- word means nothing anymore. What circumstantial evidence? Mueller. Mueller. Suddenly, <laughs> Mueller <laughs> absolutely was, none. He was twenty. He was a twenty seven years old and friends with Ed Romack since high school. What? No way. After graduation, Mueller served in World War II as an Army Air Corpsman or captain, and had a distinguishable record. 
He later returned to Columbia, Missouri, overlooking his father's restaurant. Red, he was a crazy motherfucker. Because <laughs> you had to be to get that kind of, like, to get that kind of record. You had to be insane. <laughs> um, so he ran his father's restaurant, Mueller's Virginia Cafe, and working as a tailor. Many people remember him for dressing well and always carrying around a mechanical pencil in his front shirt or jacket pocket. When Mueller and Ed Romack reacquainted, uh, they shared mutual friends and would frequently spend time together. Now, according to Ed, he had a lustful eye for virgin women and spoke about having a desire to devile someone young. Moreover, he knew Jeanette since he, she babysat for him on numerous occasions, and Ed recalled him making lecherous comments about her well-developed hips and breasts. He also... So... She was kind of in between. She wasn't sure if she was going to babysit for the Mueller family or if she was going to babysit for the Romack family. That night, mm -hmm. she ended up turning down the Mueller's to babysit for the Romacks right. that evening. Wait, 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 wait. So this dude is the prime suspect? Yes. Yep. Sorry. This guy is the prime suspect, and also she might have babysat for them that same evening. She Well, he had asked her to babysit for them because he was going out to the same party that the Romax were going to. Mm -hmm. But she was already babysitting for the Romax. Mm -hmm. So he knew that she was babysitting at the Romax house. Uh -huh. Okay. And he had made multiple comments to Ed about her well-developed hips and breasts. Fuck this guy so much. I, I hate him. can't stand this. Now, additionally, Mueller's lewd behavior stemmed over to Ed's wife, Anne, who felt uncomfortable around him because of his uninvited sexual advancements. Much to her dismay, one day before Jeanette's murder, Mueller had been visiting the home, helping Anne him address, and reportedly tried groping her breasts. In a formal statement given to police, Anne described Mueller as a man who, quote-unquote, doesn't use words, he uses his hands gross mind you helping her him address something that takes place in the sewing room yes i wish i had a button for like the dun dun duns just <laughs> dun, like, dun. the sewing room bum 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 yeah yeah <laughs> yeah additional uh, i've read that sorry uh the oddities didn't end there uh the mechanical pencil robert always had with him matched the puncture wounds found on jeanette's face also, the morning of Jeanette's death, Robert contacted Jeanette to ask if she would babysit his children for the night, but she declined because she already had arrangements to look after the Romax son. Furthermore, Mueller attended the gathering where the Romax and their mutual friends, and their, with the Romax and their mutual friends, and he left early, but hours into the party, he excused himself, claiming he had to meet a doctor who was meant to tend to his son. Mueller disappeared for two hours before returning to the party. Mm. The police questioned Mueller's doctor and discovered he never went to Mueller's residence that evening. No fucking way. Yeah. To implicate Robert even further, Ed Romack got a phone call from Mueller at his father's home on the morning after the murder. Supposedly, he had asked if he needed any assistance with cleaning up the blood throughout the house. However, he shouldn't have known about the tragedy that took place because the crime hadn't been printed in the local newspaper yet. Mm. <laughs> but Don, 
He was white. <laughs> and a distinguished army badge. couldn't have yeah. done it. You know. it was, he was white with a military background in the 50s. He very likely had connections. Pisses me right off. This happened, what, 60-some-odd years ago? and it, what, yeah. years, what years? 1950. 50? Yeah, yeah. It would literally be 71 years. 71, yeah. sorry. I'm trying. I'm trying to go back. I said 80 earlier. We're not. We got. We're all there. We get it. Uh, uh, additionally, Ed claimed Mueller would later speak to him regarding the crime and began expounding on how he believed the crime unfolded, claiming that breaking a window to climb into the home would be too loud and noticeable. Instead, it would be much easier to knock on the door and say, "Ed sent me here to get poker chips." The circumstantial evidence against Mueller was. Staggering. That's not circumstantial anymore. Right. <laughs> That's how I feel about it, too. My thing is... That's it, like literally an OJ. Right, if I did it. <laughs> like, what the fuck? So I think today, if, if this exact same case happened today, they would have had him on day one just from the forensics on his little fucking pin with the, yeah. the punch or the stapler, whatever yeah. it was on the top of it. Because oh, yeah. that, that was like, that was his accessory. Yeah, you know, that he like I I wear my my necklace. Everybody knows this necklace that oh, I yeah. wear. Everybody knew that little fucking mechanical pencil that he had on his lapel all Jesus. the time. Yeah, and I'm sure it had some DNA. Oh, a hundred percent. I'm sure he scrubbed the DNA shit. DNA? I don't know. I don't even think they knew about DNA at that point. Yeah. Uh, fingerprinting was about as serious. If they as knew about DNA, got. it was only in labs and like not about crime, right? So the circumstantial evidence or the whatever you want to call it, the evidence against Mueller was staggering and overwhelming. In May of 1950, law enforcement compiled all the evidence against him and went to his residence to speak with him. Rather than following the basic guidelines of an arrest warrant and interview procedure, the officers didn't take him into custody. Rather, they transported him to a farmhouse outside of city limits and interrogated him at length throughout the course of the night. Mueller was subsequently taken to the state capital, Jefferson City, where he was given a polygraph test and passed. That pisses me off, too, because even even today, we, we don't use we polygraphs. Knew for... Back when polygraphs were invented, the motherfucker that made the shit up compiled all the different techniques. He was like, hey, listen, this is not this is not gonna right. tell us about lies. This really just a heart monitor, a sweat thing, and, like, are one you the, trembly? One of the only times that I've ever seen in any modern case a uh, lie detector used um, in a confession or anything was uh, the Chris Watts case, the guy who killed his uh, pregnant oh, yeah. wife and two kids. Two kids and put them in the oil. Yes, or yeah, so the the polygraph was instrumental to Y'all getting him stuff to confess. For fun, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 100%. Uh, dude, JCS Criminal Psychology on YouTube, fucking phenomenal. Love watching uh, interrogation tapes. But I'm the mentally unstable one. <laughs> <laughs> we all know that we all are. You ready to go to the woods? Been... Only if you're willing to meet the family. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I, I was done. I was good. You guys sound like you're doing a bid anyway, Carrie. No, I was done. Uh, <laughs> I, meant, I meant to say mountains, but the woods came out. Oh, uh, okay. Um, so, with the unfortunate results of the lie detector test, the detectives had to let Mueller go free. 
However, all of the evidence pointed in his direction and the court's judge, W. God, I love this name. God, I love this name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. W.N. Dinwiddle. Dinwiddle. Yes. Not many Dinwiddles around now. You've days. given me a treat, Don. You've <laughs> given me just a tasty snack. He's he's Deputy Dinwiddle, right? No, no shit. No. No, no Judge. This judge. Is judge. Oh, judge okay. Dinwiddle. I'm sorry. Your Honor Dinwiddle. Your right? Honor Dinwiddle. <laughs> yep. Your Honor Judge Dinwiddle presiding. <laughs> the Honorable Judge Dinwiddle. <laughs> uh, That's what that guy I feel like, like he looks like Mayor McCheese. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but he felt compelled to arrange a grand jury to I was investigate the diabetes guy. Alfred <laughs> Brimley. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they decided to investigate Mueller's case further. Over time and legal issues, Robert Mueller was never charged because of the profound level of incompetence police conducted during their investigation into him. Hey, you guys, uh, this guy motherfucking did it. But check it out. My dick is way fucking bigger than yours. <laughs> Uh, these intertwined factors led Mueller to not be apprehended, and he later sued the police department, but he did lose the lawsuit. Thank God, because I... Bro, I would have rioted. I would be on my way to piss on his grave right Goddamn now right, if he dude. had sued the police department and won, and you fucking know he's guilty, which, once again, is the thing that pisses me off the most about this, is that the cops were completely incompetent, which is the case for 99% of, like, murders and especially serial killers that happened in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 60s 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 90s 2000s, the 2000s, yeah, the, the 2010s, um, and... What was the other? Oh, yeah, yeah, the 2020s, of course. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, pretty much um, our point is <laughs> police, the, the system of policing as it exists now is a direct descendant of slave patrols. And how about let's f- fuck right off with that shit, okay? Uh, afterward, he relocated to his fam- with his family to Tucson, Arizona. And in 2006, he passed away at 83 years old. Oh, I'm, peacefully in his goddamn sleep? It doesn't say. What, what a I cunt. Say. I actually, I couldn't find his cause of death. I didn't look super hard, but um, it's everything that I was finding in relation to the, I hope it was, the Christman case. I hope it was, uh, he touched some someone, probably his goddamn great-granddaughter or whatever, and she slit his goddamn throat. That's oh, what I want God, to have happen. That would be so nice. After everything that transpired in the small town of Columbia, it seemed as if all families involved in some form or another needed to uproot their lives from the haunting memories and start anew. The Romax moved to Idaho Falls, Idaho, and lived with sincere regret that conclusive answers were never given. No. No. They lived with sincere regret that cops failed. <laughs> okay. Ed eventually remarried, and in 2016, he passed away at 93 years old. As for his son, Gregory, um, I'm sorry, in the 1980s, Anne passed away. Then Ed remarried. Sorry, I missed the sentence. Uh, As for his son, Gregory, he grew up successful and settled down in Alaska. He got literally as far away from that shit as he possibly could to still be a U.S. citizen. 
Wouldn't you? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Hawaii or Alaska is where I mean, I'm going for like sure. Like we said, like that's formative. If that happens when you're that young, uh, quite honestly, yeah, you fuck right off to Alaska and you do your very best to never yeah. think about it ever. My again. My babysitter was killed when I was three, and the man who definitely did it still lives in my goddamn town. Like right, what? Is, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the Christman family remained in Columbia and continued running their business until Jeanette's father, Charles Christman. Okay, first of all, I'm sorry. That just hit me. He still lived there for uh, like no, a while. I think, um, I think. How long did it take for Mueller, Mueller to move? Uh, I don't think it actually said. I don't think, hold on. Um, it says he was never charged. It just says that he in, that eventually... Eventually. Yeah, which it means, says afterward he relocated his family to Tucson. But the Christmans stayed yeah, the and Christmans. kept living in the same place, running yeah. their business, which... That's what I'm saying. I like, can only imagine how you painful... You have to, like, once all that shit came out, and if he eventually moved, like, you know this man, you know what this man did to your daughter. Like... I'm going to jail if that shit happens. Right. Well, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm. There should have been an angry mob after the guy fully. when people found out, but unfortunately, mobs only assembled for another well, reason we, at that time. Yeah, well. Fuck, man. <laughs> so, um. Until. Yeah, they lived there until Charles. They should have strung this motherfucker up from a light pole. Yep. Like, I swear to God. I, I don't even believe in killing people. That shit is insane to me. Turn him into a human pinata, 100%. But Charles Christman passed away on September 24th in 1974 at the age of 60. After his death, his wife Lula Christman moved to Kansas City, where she would remain until her passing in 2009. Her oldest daughter, Retta... That's recent. Yeah. Uh, Retta would settle down with a wonderful man and start a family of her own, while the youngest daughter, Cheryl who was only a baby at the time of Jeanette's murder, moved to Florida. It's now been 71 years, and the once loving, hardworking, and independent 13-year-old who was saving for a burgundy dress for Easter would have been 85 years old on March 21, 2021. Jesus. While the Romax and the Christman family believed Robert Mueller is responsible for Jeanette's murder, they were painfully stricken with a dissatisfaction for receiving legal justice and closure, and the case officially remains unsolved. Wow. But it's not, though. It's like, not. Officially, it remains unsolved. I, I'm going to go dig the motherfucker up because I know he's buried with that pin, and I'm doing my own forensics. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going I'm to prove it definitively. I found the crime scene photos. You know, I actually found out today, this is something that a lot of people will probably know because it was one of those GQ interview things where the, the, whatever the tech thing, it's like, this is tech support, but it's not, it's like, excuse me it's like you know surgery support or whatever and i was watching one for morticians and there and this mortician was like yeah i've i've heard of cases of people being dug up you know with their court orders or whatever after uh, from the like the 50s and still being mostly intact and like honestly i hope that's what happened to him because when i heard that i thought immediately that that sounds awful. I don't believe that I will be conscious after I die, but I also don't want my body to look the same when I'm gone. Like I, that means we took ourselves out of the fucking out of nature. 
Right. It's, you know you're, what I'm you're no longer we, a part of the cycle. We are no longer a part of the goddamn cycle. And I know one thing for a fact. I'm going to be a part of that goddamn cycle. Right. Okay. Yeah, like, I'm, you're not going to be digging me up and I'm not a skeleton is my thing. Like, there's that tweet about bury me raw. Yeah. Bury yep. me goddamn raw. Literally. Like, I can't. I want him to suffer for eternity. <laughs> like, forever and ever and ever. I don't. Ooh. It's almost like I, I'm not spiritual at all, but I kind of feel the same way you do that uh, I hope. I hope he does still look the same as when he got put in the coffin because that deprives him of his right to be returned to the earth. Yeah. To me. Yeah. Yeah. Like we took you out of this on purpose. Yeah. You don't get to come back. Like you don't get to do, you don't, you don't deserve it. You don't. So that's the story. We're sticking to it. You know how we were talking about Scarlet Valley at the beginning of this? Huh? I'd rather not stick to that story, actually. We were talking well, about... Well, it sounds like you two are getting ready to go to Tucson and skullfuck this guy. So... <laughs> he does have two I, eyes. You know, I just might. I just might. <laughs> oh, God but... damn, dude. What History sucks. <laughs> I have more clues about Paul McCartney being dead if you want to hear him. I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll strangle you with a goddamn extension cord. I'll do it. <laughs> I'll take this mic cable and wrap it around your neck three say times. This table is covered in cables. so many cords. You want to find an extension cord in here? And no, take your I'm pick. Way too lazy. <laughs> way too lazy. So you guys, is... we could have been talking about Stardew Valley today, but these guys they really wanted to do not a tangents. <laughs> and here we are. I guess we're sorry. My bad. Oops. <laughs> I did, hey, just know this was not my plan. <laughs> Just know that I'm on your side. Is but look at all the Don fun the stuff one. you got to learn today about yeah. the way policing worked in the 50s and have all these pleasant reminders of how far we you <laughs> what, know, sometimes haven't like come. Still. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's the story. There's really not much more to say. Burn in hell forever. <laughs> this went really well for our first time Fuck as a trio. You, I don't even, Mueller. hey, listen, I don't even believe in hell, but I believe in hell for that guy specifically. So why is this one bugging you more than like the Phantom Killer who killed like multiple, multiple people? Is it just because there was enough evidence to pin it? And- yes. It's because it's so clear. Like every other one, it's like, like Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper is like, it's less personal. It's like, oh, yes, it was the past, but like someone, we don't even know if it, we probably think it's a male, but like Jack the Ripper killed a bunch of prostitutes back in London in the, what? I, yeah, I know it's 18 something. I don't I think know. 1860s. Yeah. yeah. And like forensics was terrible. So they, the clues were, you know, he was, he or she or they were smart enough to not get caught. And, like, it's an interesting thing to look at and study. Not this. This is a thing that happened to a person, and the guy who fucking did it fully got away and lived a long and happy life. Right. It's like we have like, all the details that we need to know what happened. So if you right. look back on, like, and we had it Jack then. the Ripper. Like, when we, right. like, Jack the Ripper is a case that may or may not one day be solved somehow by some revolutionary new technology or technique. But, like... Or not, but like this is a case that if 
15 fucking white dudes weren't literally pulling their dicks out at a crime scene to measure them against each other, they could have solved this case in a day. Yeah. In a day, Don, and they didn't. I they there. even had him. <laughs> they had him. Don's like, don't yell at me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, didn't, I love you, Don. I didn't mean That it. was like 25 years before I was born. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I promise. But that's why. It's like... It, it's like because I'm staring in the face of human incompetence, knowing it could have gone better and understanding that it didn't because racism and like shitty police work. So, so like today. Yeah. Par for the course. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I so said that's why that's the thing is that it is par for the course. I think is right. that's why it's, it's, it's a reminder of exactly how par for the course it is. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because we just went through what? Five, six Six girls that got murdered or assaulted or both. Something like that. Yeah. And yeah, like it's, nobody solved any of them. At, at least two of them. I, I would say I'm I'm 100% confident that Robert Mueller killed Jeanette. I am 90% confident that he killed Mary Lou. Certain. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's I like mean, the, very indicative of like what we know now about serial, serial killers. It's like it would have early attempts. Slight coincidence. You know? Yeah. That shit does not happen. Tw- like you could... Two different people can get stabbed on the same day for unrelated reasons. Right. But you don't get strangled by an extension cord as a girl home alone. You just, it doesn't happen. On like, like the that. same street, too. Uh, yeah, right. it was like within a within block. Within a block? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's like, I can see houses away from my house from block away. Right. Right. And right. I think M- Mueller lived right there in the area, too, didn't he? That's like, like if my next door neighbor walked down the block for two hours and then came back and I didn't. S- and then later I found out that a girl died. The same direction in he the walked. Same direction he walked. And only his excuse didn't line up. Yeah. Right. And then he and then the next what week he goes back and. Walks down that same direction, only this time he goes two blocks and he comes back three hours later. No, no the Mary Lou was a couple of years before, wasn't it? It was, it was like four years four before, years. I think. Yeah. But um, I mean, a lot of serial killers do that. It's I really wanted to, you know, when I said I didn't look into some of the research as much as I wanted to, um, I really wanted to follow Mueller's life where he went after Columbia yeah. and see if there were any cases that went unsolved or were pinned on somebody else in his new home right. town or even you know in the few neighboring towns maybe even two towns over <laughs> but um yeah. on that you note. know what josh you're gonna be a great addition to the podcast we struggle <laughs> with that we struggle with the whole self-play hey, you guys you're listening to two towns over hey check us out on spotify like you know like I that's good stuff. I like it. Yeah, and I think we should end on that. Yes. All right. So I have been Don. I've been Ruben. And I've been Josh. And welcome Josh to the team. And we'll talk to you guys next time. All right. Bye, you motherfuckers. Bye. Please stop. Later. Hey, please just stop. <laughs>